You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. Today we're going to be talking to a therapist, Ari Tuckman, on fidelity, sex, and digital toys. Ari Tuckman, PsyD, CST, is a psychologist and certified sex therapist in private practice in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Ari also is an expert speaker on digital sex toys and fidelity agreements. He works with adults who have ADHD and it led to an interest in how ADHD impacts relationships, including a couple's sex life, which then led to postgraduate sex therapy training. He's given more than 350 presentations across America and in nine countries. His fourth book and latest book is ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. And that will be out this August 2019. Welcome, Ari. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to hang out with you, Joe. Very fun to hang out with you, too. Thanks for agreeing to do this. So I thought we could start, if you don't mind, with, um, you know, most, so much of your work is about ADHD, which I want the listeners to understand as well. But how did you then move to uh, doing work with the digital sex toys and fidelity agreements? Sure. So, yeah, I've been doing work with ADHD, primarily adults with ADHD, and I've done a lot of writing and speaking on that um, for like 20 years now. And, you know, what what has been happening over the last five or 10 years for me was kind of getting more and more interested in not only how does ADHD and the clients I work with all day, like how does it affect their sort of daily productivity, whether that's students at school or adults at work, um, but also how it affects their relationships and the dynamics that develop when one partner in a couple has ADHD and then probably one partner doesn't. So, um, and since, you know, obviously a lot of our happiness in life, a lot of our meaning, a lot of our purpose has to do with our relationships with others, you know, primarily our romantic partner, but also friends and coworkers and colleagues and neighbors, this as this social aspect, this relationship aspect, just became more and more interesting to me. I'd always been kind of interested in sex therapy, but I never really found my angle in, so to speak. And then this became my angle that, you know, this is important. And those of us who work with ADHD are not really diving into it. And it's almost kind of like there were two worlds. There's the world of ADHD, and then there's the world of couples therapy, and then sex therapy. And I kind of wanted to bring them together. And that's sort of what I did in this new book that's coming out. I think it's so timely, because so many of my couples that come to my office, um, fight over this kind of thing, and, and it's problematic and have conflict over it. Um, and it challenges fidelity agreements. And so that's my first question to you is, could you explain to the audience, what is fidelity in a committed relationship? So fidelity basically means, do we do what is expected of us? Like, do we follow the sort of ground rules, so to speak, in the relationship? Now, sometimes the term monogamy agreement is used. And, you know, on the one hand, that, that's kind of a fine term. But I prefer the term fidelity agreement. The reason is that, first of all, 
not everybody is monogamous. So, you know, even if you have some crazy open poly relationship with 57 partners and whatever, like there are still expectations of fidelity, meaning some things are allowed and other things are not, or at least we need to talk about them before they perhaps are going to happen. Um, but then, there, but there's also another piece, which is, you know, I think that fidelity agreements are not just about sex and they're not just about romantic feelings. They're also about other expectations that we have for our partners. So, for example, like the biggest obvious example is spending money. You know, if I if I'm going to go to the convenience store and buy a cup of coffee for a dollar seventy nine, do I need to text my wife first and ask her? I mean, probably not. But what if I want to go buy a car? Like, do I have to let her know, hey, honey, by the way, I'm buying a car? Um, probably. But but where where in between a dollar seventy nine and forty thousand dollars? Like, where is the line in between there? And certainly, I've seen these arguments in my office. Of what do you mean? I thought that was okay to spend that. And their partner is saying, what the hell's wrong with you? That was definitely not okay to spend that. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure. All of our listeners have experienced it, uh, you know, firsthand in their relationships and or as a, you know, treatment provider, they've seen other people go through it. So, so I think that, you know, fidelity agreements are just the totality of that, of what are the ground rules of the relationship? What are our expectations? What's okay? What's not okay? I love what you're saying. And I do see that in my office. And I always say, even when couples tell me that they're monogamous, because I'll ask, are you monogamous? Are you open? You know, what's what polyamorous? They'll, uh, if they tell me they're monogamous, I always ask, have you negotiated your monogamy? And they look at me like I have two heads, right? Like, and I say, right. you know, can you use digital toys? Can you flirt on Facebook? Can you send dick pics? Can you, you know, um, flirt right. with somebody in Romania? You know, and then it's, there's a discrepancy, right? Because they haven't had, what what I would ask you next is a tight fidelity agreement. What how would you describe a tight fidelity agreement? Right. So 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 first of all, I think the fact that you ask the follow up questions, like that's those are the million dollar questions because this is where couples get into trouble. They either just assume, um, so yeah, we're not fucking anybody else, right? And, you know, like they just sort of assume that, or maybe they have that as the conversation. Like we are no, now that we're exclusive, we're no longer having sex with other people, but monogamy or fidelity has a million shades of gray. So what about, um, I don't know, can you message exes on Facebook? Is that okay? I mean, you're not having sex with them. So clearly, you know, that should be okay. Right. Except of course, there are definitely people for whom that's not okay. What about looking at porn? I mean, that's not cheating because like you're not actually having sex with any of these people, um, except then there are people for whom that is cheating. So, you know, this is where, it, where to me, I think it gets really, really interesting of why do people define some things on this side of the line, but other things on that side of the line. And of course, when you've got two people or more, they don't always set the line in the same place. So how do they negotiate that out and have they actually discussed it? And usually the answer is mm, probably not. Not until, you know, a computer is left open and, you know, a chat on Facebook gets revealed. And now all of a sudden we need to have a conversation about it, um, you know, or browser history gets seen or some other incidental discovery happens. 
and usually with bad timing. And now all of a sudden, there's a lot of hurt feelings, and it's not a hypothetical, honey, how do you feel about this? It's an actual. And then you get all the feelings of betrayal and of hiding, and the other person feels like you're freaking out about nothing, this isn't a problem, um, or you never told me that wasn't okay. Um, and you know that can certainly spawn a lot of couples' strife and drama. Totally. And then they, what it really is about is implicit contract rather than explicit contract, right? Right. Exactly. That's exactly what it's about. I always quote Marty Klein has a great line. Uh, sex therapist Marty Klein says, couples often fight over contracts that they've never made. I love that line. <laughs> right? It's true. It I've done it myself. Awesome I know. I mean, Marty Klein is awesome. He's he's a man of many great lines, but that is a great line. I know. I use it all the time, and I think about how many fights I've had with my own husband where I'm like, uh, you know, we're fighting over something, and he didn't agree to it, but he did in my head, right? So it matters. Right. Well, um, but it's also this thing of like, you didn't tell me I couldn't, therefore, I'm going to round that up to I could. Yes, Right. And then that causes even more conflict because then people think, well, you should have just known. And how could you not think like me? And then there's no differentiation going on between the couple. Right. right? right. And when I say different, yeah. differentiation really just means that we think differently and one isn't bad and one isn't wrong just because of that. Right. Right. So the fact that you like Rocky Road ice cream and I think it's disgusting, let's say, doesn't mean that you're a bad person. And it doesn't mean that Rocky Road is better than my favorite flavor, whatever that might be. You know, so like, so yeah, it's that ability to tolerate differences between us and yet still be close. And and I love the fact that you brought up differentiation because I feel like that that is what it's all about. Like that's where this all goes to ultimately is that it's that ability to be honest with ourselves about what our interests and in, in the case of sexuality turn-ons are and to be able to feel okay about them. It's the ability to be honest then with our partner about this is who I am um, and to tolerate them possibly wigging out, not reacting well, being judgmental, being shaming, not loving it, but being able to tolerate it without behaving badly back, um, and the ability to tolerate whatever crazy shit they have going on, you know, whatever weird interests they have that don't make any sense to us. So it's that ability to be honest with ourselves, with each other, and negotiate out what is and isn't okay. I mean, the fact that you're interested in something doesn't mean that you go out and do it, mm -hmm. but it means that you have a conversation. And as much as couples, you know, crash on the rocks of lack of differentiation, when, you know, like this stereotypical example is, I can't believe you look at porn, that means you don't love me, or that means you're a deviant, or that means I'm not good enough and bad, or whatever, right? And all that stuff that gets wrapped in. Um, and instead, hopefully, they come out the other side of this, having had some, finally had those better conversations, really nailed some of this stuff down, finally been able to really be honest with themselves and each other, and get to a better place regardless of what they actually do. Like, I don't actually care what they do, you know, in terms of like, is this okay or is that okay? Like, I don't care what the what they decide on. I just want it to be a thing that they can both feel okay about and that they can both actually sustain. I love that. It's about both being okay and both being able to sustain. And differentiation, we're throwing this word around. It's just basically, I'm different, you're different, and my story and my narrative doesn't have to trump your story or your narrative and make you wrong or erase you and and flat or flatten me that both it's almost like an agreement to disagree and how do we negotiate yeah. that right yeah and that that's okay 
definitely. And, you know, and when it's, you know, non-loaded topics like, you know, favorite ice cream, people can have that. Yeah. You know, like, ugh, Rocky Road, like, you have stuff, there's stuff in there, it's chewy, like, look, that's terrible. <laughs> Why would you like, right? Probably nobody's going to, like, get offensive about ice cream preferences, and nobody's going to get offended about it. So that's an easy one. But it's where, you know, when sexuality comes in, it feels so much more like a central part of who we are. So if you get judgy about what I'm into, it is going to be a lot harder for me to not take that personally and then either not retreat or go on the offense or just lie to you. Oh, never mind. I'm not actually into that. So how do you, you help? Know, and then the, yeah, go ahead. Well, and then it's just this hole exists in the relationship, you know, and I think that's often where the passion drains out is that I can't be honest with you. You can't be honest with me. And then what we have is, you know, that sort of safe, like, frankly, eventually kind of mediocre or not so inspiring sex or whatever, you know, because there isn't, like passion requires honesty and disclosure, I think. So, um, you know, that, that is the reward for doing the hard work of differentiation. I agree. Um, how do you, um, yourself work with couples to, to differentiate in your office to really these, these, cause fidelity agreements are so subjective. Like you said, what I think might be okay, I'll round up to being okay. And you might round down, not okay. How do you help them? So I think that it's important to get beyond the sort of content of the moment. So whatever it is that whatever action or desired action we're, we're discussing and to get more into what it means. Like, why do you feel like this isn't okay? Why is it threatening to you? What does it mean? What, what are the implications? What are the potential like feared consequences of acting on this thing? And then for the other partner, you know, what, what would it mean to have to kind of give this up for maybe for a time, maybe forever, you know, or how do you reassure your partner that the things they're worried about aren't actually, you know, accurate or that isn't what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And maybe it involves being more connected, more present, more supportive, whatever, in other ways that have nothing to do with this thing that we're talking about. Um, You know, so I'll just invent an example, like, you know, if if the woman it feels bad about her husband looking at porn, but he, you know, says that, you know, he'll be more present, he'll be nicer, he'll be more engaged at home with the family, whatever, and the, you know, woman feels more connected in the relationship, she may be able to be okay and say, like, you know what, I totally don't get that porn stuff. It seems ridiculous or disgusting to me, but I don't care. Like, whatever. Knock yourself out. I just don't want to see it. Yes. You know, maybe that's where it goes to if they can get to a point of of addressing whatever it is that's being provoked by it. So let's talk about your newest work, which I would loved being in your audience and hearing your um, presentation on sex toys. They're here. They're already seriously advanced way more than I thought they were myself after hearing your your talk and telling us about it, allowing couples to romp with each other anywhere in the world. Um and so can you talk about what are some of the high-tech sex toys and how do your do tech sex toys, I can't even say it, um, you know, improve the sex life or interfere? Right. So, so that's exactly right. They can both improve and interfere like anything, you know. So I can use my phone to call my wife when I'm away and we can connect on it. 
or I can sit there and scroll through emails while we're sitting next to each other, you know, so it's connecting us, but also disconnecting us depending on how we use it. So, um, so it's, so this, the new sex tech, I mean, first of all, between when we record this and 20 minutes later, if someone were to listen to it, you know, it's possible that something new has, has come out. So this is a field that's evolving quickly, but basically, um, you know, when most people think of sex toys, what they think about is your standard kind of vibrators or flashlights or other sort of things like that. So it's a device that you use in person on yourself or a partner. Um, and there's still lots of that kind of stuff, and it's just getting better and better, thank God. Wait, do you um, mind, before you so, go on, can you define flashlight? Because some people don't know what that is. Okay, so... Um, so a flashlight or other kind of male masturbators is basically a device, a tube of some sort that you put on your penis and either you provide the motion with your hand or it maybe has a, you know, some vibration or stroking pattern that it does. Um, so it's basically like the, the male equivalent of, you know, a vibrator or something that goes inside a woman's vagina. So, um, so we have all sorts of these sex toys, but... The new advances are, and I'll, I'm not going to cover every possibility, but, you know, things like, you know, there's a lot of vibrators nowadays that come with an app that you use on your phone that controls the vibration pattern. And, you know, some of it is you would just use it in person, but instead of like having to fiddle with those tiny little buttons on it, you can do it on your phone. It gives you more control, more precision, more variety, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that alone I think is kind of cool. Um, but also what you can do is, because these are internet enabled, um, you can actually on your phone, control your partner's vibrator or somebody's vibrator from a thousand miles away. As long as you're connected to the internet and they're connected to the internet, you can change what's happening with that sex toy. So you can basically give your partner an orgasm or give, again, somebody an orgasm from a thousand miles away. So you're saying that I should have hooked us up before this podcast so that you and I could be doing that and no one would know. Right. There's clear lack of planning. So, <laughs> so, but that's the thing. Like, this is totally something we could do. And these are not million dollar toys. These are like, I don't know, 150 bucks. So they're well within the budgets of many, many people. And, you know, on the one hand, if I were to go away you know, go out of town for a conference and my wife and I were to use this, like that's kind of a cool thing that we could do this and we feel more connected while one of us is away. Mm -hmm. But of course, at the same time, I could do this with someone who is not my wife. And there are, you know, web cameras who this is what they do. And you from a million miles away, pay them and, you know, control their sex toy. So that, yep. You know, so this could be like a one-on-one, like I schedule an appointment, so to speak, with someone, and then we have a good time together. Or it could be, this is a thing where there's a hundred people watching, you know, but I get to be the one to control it. So, um, you know, so this is definitely, I mean, it's not in person. I'm not actually using my hand on the vibrator on this person. So like, it's not that, but at the same time, it's not flipping through Playboy magazine either. So, and it's not even watching porn online. It's it's something else. So does and, this 
So you the, know, so like, is this cheating? Well, it depends. If you define physical presence and the answer is no, that's not cheating. You should be able to do that. On the other hand, it is definitely, you are not an uninvolved observer. This is not downloading a video that was recorded six months ago, right? So like, where is it, you know? And I think that these sort of, so it's the, the options that technology is offering us are going to force us to define our fidelity agreements in a much more fine-grained yeah. kind of a way. I have a client right now who was doing that, and um, the, his wife found out. And now for her, it's as if he had sex with every one of those women that were on cam. Yeah. And what those are that's one, obviously, issue be, between couples. What other issues do you see these sex toys presenting in your office? So I think that... I mean, I think that that's the main one is that it becomes this thing where the two people in the couple or whatever, you know, don't have the same definition of what isn't, isn't okay. Um, and sometimes it's an innocent mistake of, oh, wait, I didn't realize you were going to. And sometimes it's like a dumb innocent, like, yeah, you know what, bullshit, you freaking knew, like you absolutely knew, you didn't ask, you never did in front of your partner, so clearly you had an idea that they may not be okay with this. So, um, but, you know, there's also the issue that there are some people who will choose this over dealing with the complexity in their actual sex life and relationship. Mm, Good, yes. Um, you know, so if they turn on, they don't feel comfortable sharing with their partner, or if they're not getting along or their sex life has sort of fallen off the rails, it is definitely easier to go take care of things on your own or with somebody else than it is to deal with stuff with your partner. So, you know, it can become that path of least resistance. Now, I'm not going to go this sort of like crazy panic, like, oh my God, nobody's, this will destroy every marriage in the world and nobody will ever have sex with their partner again and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not going to go that way. And I'm definitely, I mean, I know you're not a proponent of sex addiction as a thing. I'm not a proponent of sex addiction as a thing. So, you know, I don't think that we all need to like wet ourselves in a panic over this. Um, But at the same time, you know, it just becomes an even more interesting and even more compelling and even more realistic alternative to having sex with your partner. And there are some who will then use it as a path of least resistance. So like there's that issue there as well. I had a client once, a male client who was jealous of his wife using her vibrator. And he would say to her, literally, my dick is available to you 24-7. He said, I could have food poisoning coming out of my mouth and my my ass. And I still, my dick is available to you 24-7. <laughs> and, and this was before cell phones where he could take pictures. He actually measured how far away this, this dildo was uh, in the morning to see if she would use it and came home and said, your dildo was six inches from the wall facing north. Tonight it's 10 inches and it's facing south. And he was so upset. And um, so I always like to tell that story because this isn't just about women getting upset with men using these things. It's men getting upset with women as well, isn't it? It's gender, both genders. Absolutely. I mean, it definitely is. And, you know, for all the... I mean, there's so, such a variety of sex stories out there for women, more so than for men, um, that it, it absolutely, it, it is not just one gender. And, you know, but also it's not just men who are looking at porn. There are increasing numbers of women looking at porn. And, you know, I think that it's not helpful to do this just along gender lines. Um, but I think that, 
you know, so like this couple that you just talked about, I think it's an incredibly interesting kind of fertile area then, you know, so what was it about this guy that he felt threatened and inadequate in comparison, right? right. That's one question. What was the quality of their sex life? Was she initiating sex with him or not? Um, you know, what What were the performance concerns, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, there's all this other stuff that gets wrapped into it. And I think that if we, as therapists or as society or whatever, just limit our focus to, you know, are these sex stories or whatever, is this good or bad? It misses all the important nuances. Yes. It misses that bigger picture of everything else that sort of filters into it. Yeah, and the last thing I wanted to say about that couple is, and to anybody who's in therapy or to any therapist listening, if you make it about the vibrator or you make it about the sex toy, you've lost the couple. It's really what you just said, Ari. It's how the couple reacts to the sex toy and the digital sex products. Before we um, come to an end, I want to before we wrap up, can you want to do you want to mention anything about how people can c- contact you? And um, when your book is coming out, that kind of thing? Sure. So best place to find me is on my – so I actually have two websites. One is more for my private practice, which is TuckmanPsych.com. So that's psych as in psychology. Um, and then AdultADHDBook.com is the site that I have related to my books on ADHD as well as my new book that's coming out that's probably actually going to be out by the time this airs called ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, better relationship. Um, And, you know, that looks at how ADHD impacts a couple's sex life, how it impacts a relationship, the dynamics that develop between them, and basically how to make a better sex life and relationship overall to sort of minimize the impact that ADHD is having. So, um, you know, obviously it addresses a lot of the stuff that any couple would be dealing with, but then also specifically focuses in on this ADHD piece. Um, And I think it's important because ADHD in adults generally is a bit sort of underrepresented. Like there's a lot of adults with ADHD undiagnosed. Um, But I think especially those who are seeking individual therapy, those who are seeking couples therapy, ADHD is very much overrepresented. And, you know, so I'm kind of a big proponent of getting ADHD in adults up on people's radar screens as a thing to consider because if you don't know what's there, you can't do anything about it. I love it. I'm going to definitely have you back and we're going to do a whole episode on that too because that's important. Thank you so much for coming on my show and uh, being one of my guests. My pleasure. As I said, always fun to hang out with you. Same here. See See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.